passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Jeff Ponce here for a three-hour debate of sweeper versus slider. Jeff, you ready? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Aren't nah. they? They're, they're synonymous. <laughs> nah, just kidding. Obviously, uh, it's been a big debate on Twitter, and uh, I do feel like I need to say there are some very, very serious things happening in the world and some things worth getting upset about. This is not one of them. I think everyone needs to take a little no. bit of a So uh, now that we've had that public service announcement, Jeff, let's dive into uh, the National League and American League Division Series. Three of the series have wrapped up. Three teams have punched their tickets to the uh, NLCS and ALCS. Uh, one more series still to be decided. I want to start with the one that just wrapped up uh, a few minutes ago. The D-backs completed their sweep of the Dodgers three games to none. And Jeff, this was just complete domination. The D-backs outscored the Dodgers 19 to six. They out hit them 28, 17. They out homered them nine to one. Uh, the D-backs jumped out from the very beginning of game one and, and never really looked back. They never trailed at any point in this series. Uh, just what were your overall takeaways from this series? Cause I, I think when you look at all the different games and series and how they've played out, I think this is certainly the outcome that has been the most surprising, not just that the D-backs won, but the fact they swept and, and just made it look easy. Yeah, because, um, you know, certainly the Rangers series, which also wrapped up yesterday against the Orioles, um, I don't think was as big of a shock. We had both, I believe, picked the, the, the Rangers to win that series. So uh, I think we expected it to go more games, but not necessarily to um, have a different outcome in the end where – this series, I, th I think we both, you know, expected the Dodgers to win. I, I think when I picked games, I, th I said it would go four. Uh, you know, I expected the scrappy Diamondbacks to put up a fight. I thought they would be close games. And it seemed like immediately, um, almost in all three games, the Diamondbacks really just, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of put their foot on the Dodgers' throat and really just never relented. And, uh, you know, Today in the the clinching game, game three, they had the the four home run inning, of course. Um, but it seemed like they came up with big hits, and particularly the long ball, uh, early and often, and really just uh, took advantage of, uh, I think, a beat up Dodgers staff 
and maybe and, and it was something i've thought about the last couple of days kyle and i'll throw this back to you know i'm putting you in the hot seat a little bit um we talk about the home runs and stu- such and the offense and that seems to always be a consistent theme on the broadcast and the playoffs and i think the other theme and maybe it's cliche is the pitching and i think when we look at the orioles and we look at the dodgers two teams that were eliminated in sweeps uh this round um both teams that had you know uh the best record in their respective leagues um excuse me the the braves are the best record in their league but you know obviously are struggling with the phillies as well all three of those teams actually have major question marks when you look at the starting pitching the starting pitching depth and there's no sort of true go-to guy i think the braves are excluded a little bit because they do have strider but the rest of that pitching staff is pretty beat up with you know the current form of max freed obviously losing charlie morton who's a stabilizing veteran presence and a guy that sort of transforms your playoff rotation when you have three guys that can go we're really seeing that with the phillies they may not be as good of a regular season team but when it comes to the playoffs they have the offensive side of things, which I think almost all of these teams do, frankly. Um, but they have the pitching. They have the bullpen, but they also have the starters, and they have guys that can give them innings and get them into that fifth, sixth inning, which is something that we talked about in our preview show and kind of wrapping up um, the wild card series is that getting into that fifth or sixth inning is really important because it takes a lot of pressure off of your bullpen when you're looking at the at the marathon, not just the single-game sprint. But the marathon of a series and then the bigger picture where you're talking about trying to win a world championship, which is the, obviously the goal here for every team. Yeah, look, I mean, you need it all to win a World Series. You have to have it all. You have to have a relentless offense one to nine. You have to have a good, deep starting rotation. You have to have a lockdown bullpen. It's not one thing. It's it's to be the last team standing. You have to be good at everything. There's just no way around it. And, and a big part of that sometimes is just who has healthy bodies left. I wrote about this in my uh, five storylines for the postseason. I mean, starting pitching was almost survivor. Who, who, who's left? And in a lot of ways, I mean, it really just does come down to you know, who's healthy and, and who's in a good spot. You know, in terms of this series, the Dodgers starting pitchers got 14 outs and gave up 13 runs. They just did not pitch well, period. I mean, give the Diamondbacks credit. They came out and jumped on them. Um, you know, I, I covered games one and two for us. Clayton Kershaw just didn't have anything. And it was, it was honestly hard to watch. Um, he just did not have anything. The D-backs were ready. They jumped on him. And Bobby Miller was not sharp in game two. Again, the D-backs worked some good at-bats against him, made him work, and, and knocked him out of the game early. Lance Lynn, again, you know, threw four pitches right down the middle. The D-backs were ready for it and didn't miss it. Four home runs in an inning. And look, Lance Lynn gave up 44 home runs during the regular season this year. And you knew this was a vulnerability of his and and – D-backs got them. I, I will say, you know, the D-backs were locked in from day one offensively. It really stood out. They had quality at bats throughout the entire series, one to nine. And the Dodgers offense just did not do a whole lot this series. But a big part of that was because the D-backs jumped out to early leads every single game. Again, they were up nine, nothing through two innings in game one. They got out to another lead in game two, scored three runs in the first inning today, four runs in the third inning, you know, that put the Dodgers offense in a little bit of a hole and they started pressing. They started expanding the zone. Dave Roberts talked about it. You know, all his hitters were not doing a very good job with pitch selection. And some of that is just, again, they're pressing a little bit. They're behind. They know the clock is ticking and high pressure situations. Um, the D-backs came out. They were locked in. They were ready to jump on the Dodgers pitching. And 
again, they, they ran away with this. So again, I think people, you know, I talked before on our wildcard preview podcast, Jeff, about the Dodgers and concerns about them overthinking their pitching and, you know, maybe surrendering to their worst instincts. That didn't become an issue this series. The D-backs just went out and straight up beat them. I mean, their starters were not very effective. The D-backs jumped on them and made it look easy. So um, give the D-backs credit. I mean, they're undefeated this postseason. They're 5-0. and They're rolling on all cylinders hitting-wise. And by the way, pitching-wise, Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, Brandon Fott all pitched very, very, very well for them. Um, they're playing really good baseball right yeah. now. And Just tip your cap. Yeah, and I think that's the big story of the series is – you know, certainly the pressure was off of Merrill Kelly uh, almost immediately in game one, (laughs) Uh, but he gave them six and a third, which I think really set them up for the next two games in terms of having some off days, but also being able to use Paul Seawald in uh, consecutive two run games, save situations to lock down the games. Uh, They used four relievers in game two. They used five relievers tonight to get through fat. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's funny, but uh, sometimes we overlook that just that inning or two, how important it is in the long game and just how, how things set up because fat had a little bit of pressure off of him in the sense of they scored some runs early. He only had to give him four and a third. That's really all they needed from him. And then they had the rested arms in the bullpen that they were able to then use. And a lot of that was because they didn't have to use those guys in game one. And of course, swept in the opening round. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of those inflection points in the series that was really key was was in game two. The D-backs were up 3-1, but the Dodgers were threatening. In the fifth inning, they had two on, one out. Zach Gallon on the mound gets Mookie Betts to ground into a force out and then strikes out Freddie Freeman, I mean, with a a dirty curveball. That was huge right there because, you know, that was an inning where the Dodgers had an opportunity to tie it. They have Betts and Freeman coming up, and Zach Gallon made the pitches to get through that inning. And then the very next inning as well, you know, Lourdes Gurriel comes back at the top of the inning, sends a lead 4-1. Um, in the sixth inning, we saw the Diamondbacks' bullpen come up really, really big. You know, Dodgers, again, had bases loaded one out, and they only got one run out of it, and it was an infield single. Andrew Saul, Frank, and Ryan Thompson came in and, and got some big outs for them. So we saw the D-backs starters come through in big spots. We saw the D-backs relievers come through in big spots. Their offense gave them early cushions. I mean, again, they outpitched the Dodgers. They outhit the Dodgers. They, they just – played better baseball. And I want to get your thoughts on this, Jeff, because I think a lot of times, you know, people talk about the quote unquote randomness of the postseason and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I understand obviously what people are saying from a statistical probability perspective, but that phrase just bothers me because to me, it takes away the credit from the team who went out and just played well and straight, you know, the D-backs didn't just randomly beat the Dodgers. They outplayed them. They beat them. And Again, I get what people are saying when they use that term, but it it never sits well with me because to me it's taking away the credit from the team that actually went out and won the game. Yeah, and I I think we also um, sometimes perhaps overrate uh, the bigger picture of the 162-game season um, versus how teams finish over the last two months. And I do think there's something to be said. I think this kind of spans across all sports, but particularly baseball and football, where I think there is some momentum at play. And I think there's probably some in hockey as well. There's a lot less randomness in basketball, just from the nature of the game and uh, the discrepancy in high-end talents between the best teams and the worst. So I don't think they're a good example, but other sports, I think you tend to see, momentum going in to the playoffs and how that can often build and a team like the Dodgers or the Braves or the Orioles for that matter, 
aren't really fighting for their playoff lives. The Rays were kind of the same deal. Yeah, there was some shaking out in terms of how the divisions and that sort of thing shook out for all those teams. But they were kind of locked into the playoffs entering September. And I think sort of playing on edge, having to play playoff baseball puts you into a certain mentality. And a lot of those teams tend to go on a little bit of run. And I think we've seen that with the Diamondbacks. Now, the other part of it is I think there is something to roster construction where, you know, it it maybe plays out well enough over the, the course of the entirety of the season. And by the way, there's some randomness in the entirety of the season because there's injuries, matchups, when you catch a particular team, all those sort of things that come into play. Um but in the playoffs, the 26 matters a lot more than the 40 does during the regular season. And I think that's a big difference. And how that 26-man roster is built, you know, it might be viewed as randomness. But I don't think the Phillies putting up the series that they're putting up is randomness. I underrated what their performance would be against the Braves because of what the performances were during the regular season. And in the end, that's proven to be false. Because the Phillies are a team, like we've talked about before, that have a good bullpen, that hit, and they have peripheral pieces around their stars and their guys that are home run hitters like Schwarber or Castellanos, um, you know, or or Harper, um, that can get on base, that can score some runs, that play solid defense, and then they have that pitching around it. So it is, it's a better playoff team than a lot of these other teams that maybe win 100 games during the regular season, you know? Um, and I think like people want to describe it as randomness. There's been a lot of talk about that with the playoff format and all these sort of things. And I was talking to my father the other day about this and who's not a huge baseball fan. And I was talking about how people were complaining about, it. we were kind of laughing. Cause it's like, it's why they play the games. That's it's why we do this. You know, it's good when there's randomness. That's why you want to watch this excitement. If it was predetermined, you know, there'd be no reason to watch. It would just be a simulation, right? So it's good when there's randomness. It's good when there's teams that maybe are built for this particular type of tournament that perform in this tournament. We see it in in all different sports all the time. You know, it's why there's top 20 teams that lose to mid-majors and they go on runs in the NCAA basketball tournament because they're built for it. You know, they can hit threes, they can defend, they rebound, they do all those little things. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, the D-backs, just congratulations to them. And, and that's a good segue, Jeff, into the one series still to be decided. Uh, the Phillies lead the Braves two games to one. The Phillies hit six home runs in game three, showed off their power, which, again, we all know they have. And, and they certainly have shown that they know how to perform in the postseason, reaching the World Series last year. But I think it's worth noting that, again, you know, for good reason, a lot of focus was on the Braves and, and their offense and how good they are. And they haven't really got untracked. They were shut out in game one. Game two, they rallied to win. I mean, really just a fabulous rally at the end there, but they were down most of the game and only got four hits the entire game. Just Austin Riley coming up huge with a big home run. Travis Darno coming up huge with a big home run. And today as well, again, I mean, the Phillies just took it to them. The Braves scored two runs. I think some of it is... Look, it is hard to maintain your rhythm and timing after five days off. That does have an effect, especially on hitters. Um, But again, I I think blaming that instead of giving the Phillies credit for going out and pitching well and hitting the snot out of the ball and and doing what they 
tend to do in October. And by the way, playing with just amazing energy and an edge, which we talked about, they're playing really, really good baseball right now. And do you think the series is done? Do you think the Phillies wrap this up based on the way these first three games have played out? Or do you think the Braves have a shot to come back here? Um, you know, momentum wise, the fact that it's in Philadelphia, the way the team kind of is vibing right now, yeah. it ve- it very much feels like unless something catastrophic catastrophic happens. Sorry, it's late, so I'm I'm like <laughs> trip, tripping over my words right now. But unless something catastrophic happens, it really does feel like whether it doesn't happen now, it's going to happen in Atlanta. It just feels like two chances for this team to wrap up. They've been there before. They have all the momentum going. Everything seems to be working in their favor. They do have to face Spencer Strider tomorrow. Um, So we'll see how that goes. But, you know, they've shown that they've had some some success already in the series against them. So it's not going to be all that unusual. I guess, you know... um, I don't want to bet against the Braves, but it certainly feels like they're pitching. Some of the deficiencies defensively have kind of been exposed in this series. And we haven't gotten a, a standout performance from Ronald Acuna Jr. yet. And for them to win this series, he's got to play like a star. He's got to step up to the plate and sort of uh, bad pun there. But... <laughs> to sort of match what we're seeing on the other side of the ball from, from Bryce Harper. There has to be, because he's the kind of guy that can get that emotional charge in that team. If things go right, if he gets a big hit in a big moment, we haven't seen that yet. That might be the catastrophic moment where things change. You know, if it's a two, one game and he's got a couple of guys on, he hits a three run homer and they go up and, and the momentum can swing like that. They go back to Atlanta, but right now, do you see any of that fight from the Braves? They're going to have to summon it. Look, I think it'd be a mistake to count them out. This is a great sure. team with a lot of talent, a good manager. But but I think for me, it really spoke volumes about the Phillies and their resilience to bounce back the way they did. I mean, game two was a heartbreaker. They were up 4 nothing going into the bottom sixth inning on the road. They were in complete control that game. And the way the Braves came back, Darno's home run off of Wheeler and then... Austin Riley's go-ahead homer. And then the way that it ended with that crazy, you know, Michael Harris making an unbelievable catch, getting the ball back in, Austin Riley backing up, doubling up Bryce Harper. I mean, that was a, a back-breaking kind of loss. And for the Phillies to come back out from that and just take it to the Braves completely, a 10-2 annihilation, again, to me, it speaks volumes about this team and where they are mentally and, and the confidence and energy and edge they play with, especially at home. So I'll say this, the Braves have the guy you want on the mound to save your season, Spencer Strider. Sure. Um, but they're going to need the best version of Max Freed to throw in game five. And, yes. and we don't know if he can do that. Um, he was not sharp in game two. We talked about this blisters. It's They're tricky to come back from, especially for a guy who's so curveball reliant. I, I think... Look, I think just the sheer fact that the Phillies are up two to one and have another game at home, yeah, you, you kind of have to favor them where they're at right now. But sure. um, yeah, again, I have a hard time seeing the Braves going down without a fight, but we'll see. I, I think it's certainly going to be an interesting game for. And I think like you walk a razor thin line with this Braves team with some some of the defense, but also with the bullpen. 
you know, that you, you could get a good game out of them. Obviously they won a lot of games during the regular season. They're a talented team. Um, but when you're facing a really good lineup uh, that seems to have your number right now, you know, and then, like you said, it sets up for a game five where, yeah, you have to get the best max freed. You ask, you also, you also have to hope that you're getting the worst version of Zach Wheeler on full rest, by the way, you know, that's the other part of it is in game five, you're going to get Zach Wheeler on full rest and, you know, through what, four, five innings, he was throwing a no hitter, six innings. How many, I mean, he was shutting down the Braves offense and going into the, the sixth, right? And giving up what a hit. Yeah. No, I mean, Zach Wheeler, as we know, is, is one of the best pitchers in baseball. And you yeah. feel pretty good about your chances winning any game he's starting on the mound. So we'll see what happens. But again, the D-backs are through to the NLCS, the Phillies and Braves. We'll see if that wraps up here on Thursday or if it goes to a game five on Saturday. Jeff, I want to take a quick break and then dive into the ALCS with you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. Kyle Glazer alongside Jeff Ponce. Jeff, we just wrapped up the NL Division Series, or at least we should say one of them, and uh, previewed Game 4 between the Braves and Phillies. But the ALCS matchup is set. We have a Lone Star Series, the Astros and the Rangers. The Rangers swept the Orioles, and the Astros defeated the Twins three games to one. Uh, These were two teams we both picked to be here. I want to start with the Rangers-Orioles series. We had talked about a little bit on the preview podcast that, yes, the Orioles were the team with 100 wins. They were the team with home field advantage. But this was also a very, very young team with a lot of guys who were there for the first time. And that was really, really, really concentrated in the pitching staff. None of their starters had ever started a postseason game. And they brought three young starters out against the highest scoring offense in the American League that had a lot of veteran players who have been in the postseason. 
and the Rangers took it to him. Um, again, game one, I actually thought Kyle Bradish pitched well in game one. I, I really don't think he pitched poorly, but the Rangers were a good offense who, who found ways to, to do some damage in big spots. And then, you know, games two and three, Grayson Rodriguez and Dean Kramer, the Rangers really jumped on them. So, again, the Orioles will be back. This is a really talented up-and-coming young team, but the Rangers just had loads and loads and loads of offensive talent. And, and when you throw three young pitchers who have never started a postseason game before onto this stage against that kind of offense. It's just a tough ask. Yeah. And I, you know, you didn't get much in that series out of Adley Rushman. You didn't get a whole lot in that series out of Ryan Mountcastle uh, as well. You know, Cedric Mullins was 0 for 12, I think in the series with a, a few K's. Um, so, you know, even beyond sort of the pitching performances, um, you know, not the entire Orioles offense didn't show up. And as we talked about in the preview, um, in order for them to win and win series in the playoffs, uh, especially with their pitching staff, their starting pitching staff, you know, they needed to score a lot of runs. And that offense needs to sort of be clicking on all cylinders. And they need to have Adley Rushman and Ryan Mountcastle driving in runs um, and getting on base, frankly. You know, especially when it comes to to Rushman. Um, so I think there, you know, that was a pretty large impact in that series, as they just couldn't outscore the Rangers. The Rangers put up, you know, uh, eleven and uh, um, uh, seven uh, over the last two games. There, you know, the only close one was Bradish, and I think that was the only probably game where the Orioles threw a legitimate playoff starter. Um, no knock on Grayson Rodriguez. I just don't know if he's there yet as a as a young starter and, and uh, Dean Kramer, you know, a solid performance, but I think he's more of a guy that you'd want maybe doing long relief for a true playoff contender. You know, I know JJ talked a little bit about this. I think he wrote about it as well. Um, And even if you look at some of the pitchers that were available, I think we all wanted the Orioles to go out and get better options. Um, I'm not sure that they necessarily are going to get their hands on Verlander or Scherzer, frankly. And, you know, how how much would some of these other arms have factored into things? I think really the only guy that might have been a difference maker for them is Jordan Montgomery, and they probably needed two guys like that and really not just one. Um, so, you know, if they can go out and they can acquire some of those pitchers, whether in free agency or in the trade market that maybe have a couple of years of runway in terms of uh, contract or control, you know, I think that would be really interesting. And as you said, that's when the Orioles are back. They got their feet wet. They got their taste. And they did, they did get some good performances from some young players like Gunnar Henderson. You know, I know the numbers weren't crazy, but I thought Jordan Westberg played well in the series and had some big moments for them uh, when they needed him. And, I, you know, I think there's some positive takeaways uh, there as well. And then Anthony Santander looked very good in the middle of that lineup too. Um, so there are some positives. There are some takeaways. I think the Rangers, though, when you look at the way that this team has been put together, um, that's another team where from top to bottom, they have some veterans. They have guys that have been there before that have been through playoff battles. They have a loaded lineup and they have some starters that frankly, I, I think are quality playoff starters. You have, you know, a guy like Nate Eovaldi who, um, you know, is sort of this generation's uh, Kurt Schilling. And I mean, it's strictly from a baseball standpoint, um, <laughs> where he seems to come up very big in big moments with really gutsy performances. And he got another one from, from him already. And I'm excited to see what he can do in this Houston series. I think this is a really well 
uh, a really strong matchup again. I know we kind of talked about with the Rangers and the Orioles and didn't play out that way, but I think the pitching on both sides, they have some veteran presence, guys that have been there before. Um, and, you know, I think I would probably, I think I might take the Rangers offense over the Astros as well. When you look at some of the holes that the Astros seem to have in that lineup with a guy like Jose Abreu, who I think if the Rangers attack him the right way strategically and with the right pitchers, um, they're probably going to, you know, nullify him. I was, I was kind of shocked how, uh, how he was pitched to tonight, considering his struggles with bat speed and catching up to uh, velocity and fastballs. Yeah, I do want to talk about the Astros twin series here in a second, but but sure. finishing up with the Rangers, you know, I do think it's important to note Nate Uvalde and Jordan Montgomery have been really, really good starting pitchers for years now without a whole lot of fanfare. I mean, these are two guys who really for the better part of the last four, five seasons now have for the most part, been been really, really solid starting pitchers. Again, Yavaldi struggled in 2019, but short of that, he's been pretty darn good. And, and again, Jordan Montgomery, I think, is perennially underrated, really what he's done the last three years, you know, 2021. And even, you know, before he had surgery in 2017, 2018, he was pretty good. Like, these are two good pitchers who aren't thought of as, you know, top two starters in a playoff rotation. I know Andrew Heaney started game one, but again, that was just kind of where they were the off days out coming out of the wildcard series. But they're they're really really good pitchers and and again, Montgomery didn't pitch great, but you know what he's capable of. Yavaldi pitched well, and I will say one thing that is really really promising for the Rangers is the bullpen is starting to pitch better. And really, Jose Leclerc really finished the year strong, and we saw that he pitched in all you know three games, all three games pitched well. Did give up one run, but again, looked good, pitched well, everything was good. Rolls Chapman definitely struggled to find the strike zone. That wasn't great, but at the end of the day, he didn't allow any runs, which is the name of the game. Um, you know, Josh Spores gave him a couple of good outings. I mean, the, the bullpen is pitching better, and that was the weak point on this team. I think if you look at the lineup and the rotation, this is very much a 100-win caliber team. The bullpen was just blowing games for them. Yeah. If they're able to keep that up, especially Jose Leclerc at the end of, at the end of games, it really changes the entire dynamic of this team. Uh, again, they were my pick at the start of the playoffs to represent the AL in the World Series, and they're playing really, really good baseball right now. Jeff, moving over now to the Astros Twin Series, you mentioned it. I, I think one of the things is, well, aside from Jordan Alvarez doing Jordan Alvarez things and, and being as amazing as he is, Jose Abreu kind of coming back to life. He had a really, really poor season. It was a free agent signing that raised a lot of eyebrows when it happened, just given his age. And he went out and really kind of made up for a really poor regular season with what he did the series. Uh, hit three home runs in the series. Hit 313, 12-28 OPS. Again, it's only four games. But, I mean, he was he was a pretty big force in that lineup. And when you add that on to a lineup that has Altuve and Bregman and Alvarez and Tucker. I mean, Tucker, Bregman, and Altuve didn't really do a whole lot this series. It was Alvarez and Abreu in a lot of ways and some Chaz McCormick as well. But yeah, so you know, with Jose Abreu, you, you kind of alluded to it. Do you think it's hey, he's figuring it out, or do you think it's just the Twins maybe did not do the best job of attacking him? Yeah, I, I just from what I watched, I sort of felt like the Twins did not do the best job of attacking him. Um, soft stuff over the plate, he's going to hit, <laughs> frankly, and that's what he did the most damage against. Um, you know, and it was sometimes guys like tonight against. Uh, Duran, it was like he could have gone up there with a hundred miles per hour, and I, I don't think a Brady would have touched it, you know. Yeah. Um, 
you just had to sort of challenge him with it. And so I thought that was a little unusual just in terms of, of how they did pitch him just because it seems like um, he's a player where there's a weakness that just has been so exploitable all season long. Um, but you never know. Once again, veteran in the playoffs. Um, he certainly has his approach. He's not going to get out of it. You know, you're not going to get bad at bats necessarily from him. Um but just his ability to do damage has been uh, certainly uh, a question all season long. So I don't know. It would be unusual for him to figure it out now. But, uh, you know, you get you get in a hot streak. You're feeling yourself. You're seeing the ball a little bit better. And uh, things just sort of come to fruition. So we'll see there. But he's certainly, when you're looking at this lineup, um, you know, not somebody that scares you when you have Altuve, Bregman, Joran uh, Alvarez, and, I know he had a bad series, but Kyle Tucker in front of him, of course. Yeah, again, I mean, those guys are going to do their damage. If someone's slumping, someone else is going to pick him up. Again, Jordan Alvarez is becoming one of the most dominant postseason hitters of our era. I mean, he's just mm. on another level. I mean, I, I know it's cliche, but it's true. It's it's ridiculous what he does in the postseason every year. Um, yeah, One of the things that, that jumped out to me about this series, and I talked about it going in, is how Christian Javier in a lot of ways was going to be a key because you feel pretty good, Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez going games one and two for you. But Christian Javier has been really inconsistent all year. This was not the same guy who we saw start no-hitter in the World Series last year. And, you know, which version they were going to get was going to go a long way in determining how much success they were going to have. And, and I thought his start in game three was really, really important. Five innings. One hit, no runs. He walked five batters and hit another. So, I mean, it wasn't the cleanest outing. But, again, the name of the game is keeping runs off the board, and he did that. And I thought that bottom of the fifth was really, really key. You know, Astros were up 5 nothing, had a comfortable lead, but you're on the road. You walk the bases loaded. I mean, the Twins are, are in a good position. He bounces back, strikes out Max Kepler looking at a curveball, and then strikes out Royce Lewis swinging at a slider. You know, Royce Lewis, grand slam hero. Christian Javier coming up big in that moment to get through five scoreless innings and escape that jam, I thought was just so, so, so huge. And that really took the wind out of the twin sails because that was the chance for them to potentially kind of jump back into this thing. And, and, you know, maybe even if they just get two or three runs there, all of a sudden it's a 5-3 game. It completely changes the dynamic. Instead, Javier escapes, the Astros tack on, and they're on their way to a 9-1 win. So, Seeing Christian Javier go out and pitch, again, it was not the cleanest outing. Anytime you walk five batters and hit another in five innings, it's not ideal. But one hit allowed, no runs, nine Ks. I mean, when he was throwing strikes, they couldn't touch him. So I think that was a really important development for the Astros in this series and, and something that will serve them well in the ALCS. Jeff, we're, again, we're going to do a separate podcast, actually previewing both championship series. But as we kind of wrap up here, with three series down, one still to go. Is there any overarching theme you've taken from what we've seen so far? You, you talked a little bit about the days off and that dynamic and the ideas of random, randomness in the postseason. Are there any overarching themes yet, or uh, would we be jumping the gun and, and trying to make a judgment off too small of a sample? No, I, I, I think um, we've talked about it before, but I think it is the well-balanced teams are, are once again uh, proving to be the toughest outs in the playoffs and you know so far have dominated. And, um, you know, you don't have to necessarily have uh, the most star-studded lineup, but if you have a lot of above-average players across the board in in a variety of positions, 
and that one kind of guy that you can go to in your staff, um, I think, you know, you're set up for potential playoff success. And uh, the interesting thing is looking at the three teams that have advanced and either of the two, two teams, but, you know, we'll say if it's Philly, for example, um, you know, I think that any of these teams at this point could potentially win the title. I don't think there is a clear front runner in my mind. You know, I think all four of these teams or five, um, you know, could potentially advance to the World Series and win. The Braves all of a sudden get hot. You know, we've seen this before. I can remember a, a Red Sox division series or might have been, no, it was an ALCS, excuse me, um, against the Tigers. I believe that was 2013. Mm-hmm. And they were down 2-0, weren't scoring any runs. And then all of a sudden the offense erupted and they took the series. Things like that can happen. So I don't want to count out the Braves once again, but I think every single one of these teams right now, it's really, it really is reasonable to think that any one of them could potentially win the world series. Even the diamondbacks, the way the diamondbacks are playing right now, it's really hard to count them out as a potential true, you know, championship contender. These, these, you know, five teams are, are all capable of, of winning. Yeah. I mean, again, it comes back to how are you playing right now? And the D backs are, undefeated in the postseason they're five and oh they've hit more home runs than any other team in the playoffs they have the highest ops of any team in the playoffs they're playing great baseball right now and that's what matters most jeff it's been fun and uh we've got another great one coming up with philly's braves we'll see if that series can wrap up but uh again we're almost down to the final four and uh, we'll see what happens next thank you for joining me absolutely All right, everyone, this has been a late night edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Ponce, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.